0: Thank you, Kay, for getting us started this morning with a familiar hymn that rings true to our hearts. Welcome to those here today and those listening on the radio. Today is All Saints Sunday, and we are welcome our guests and family members of those we remember today. After service today, family members are encouraged to take a white carnation from the vase on the altar, memory of their loved one. Shannon Rediger will be home for after her 11-month trip by Thanksgiving on Sunday, December 3rd, she'll give a presentation about her experiences in the ministry center. She might want to mark that. We encourage everyone to pick up a brochure for Operation Christmas Child. You, you don't have to have a child in Sunday school to put together a box. The deadline to bring a box is Sunday, November 19th by 4 p.m. And would you please rise and join me as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning? which is taken from John chapter 6. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter then answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words to We have come to believe in the Now let us sing. In Christ alone.
1: Be seated. Lost last week
0: in a helicopter crash in the Logar province of Afghanistan, Chief Warrant Officer Jacob M. Sims, 36, from Juneau, Alaska.
2: Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to gather here and worship you together in song and in prayer. And, and later on, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, Lord, we are all uh, in, a, in an attitude and, and mindset of worship this morning. Thank you for our, our guests that are with us today as we remember those who have gone before us this past year. We pray that you would comfort them and and, and give them peace at this time as we remember their loved ones. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to each one of us and especially to those who have gone before. We thank you that in Christ, Lord, uh, we have the opportunity for eternal life and that that you call all those who, who put your faith or put their faith and their trust in you part of your family and part of your kingdom, and we are so grateful for that opportunity and grateful for your faithfulness to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, I, I pray now that you would uh, hear our prayers as we lift up those concerns that are before us today. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge Lord, that we can't do things on our own, that we can't uh, in our own power and our own might. Lord, uh, fix the problems that we face on a day-to-day basis, especially when there are serious problems like health concerns and maybe financial issues or relationship issues. And so, Lord, we, we entrust ourselves to you. We entrust each one of these situations to you and pray that just as you are faithful to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, you continue to be faithful in all things and that, and that your will and your purpose would be accomplished in each of these situations. Lord, we trust that you know what's best for us. We trust that your will is best for us. And that even though it may be beyond our understanding or beyond our comprehension, we put ourselves in your hands. And so, Lord, we, we do that this morning with each of the requests that are listed before us, as well as the, the other burdens, Lord, that we may carry in with us this morning that aren't known. Uh, Lord, you know us. You know our hearts and you know our minds. And you know exactly uh, what we need in this moment. And so we pray that you would provide through your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I would invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. And our choir will be singing the song, Jesus is the Song. We have another short scripture passage uh, for us today, so I'm going to take the opportunity now to to read that for us together, and then we'll pray and, and begin to look at that. But just as with last week, um, as we began our series on, on the five solos and looked at scripture alone, there's going to be several passages we'll look at today. So I encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles or one of the Bibles that's provided for you in the pews there. So our first reading that will, will be kind of the foundation of our message is John chapter 14, verse 6. John chapter 14, Verse 6. In this passage, Jesus is comforting his disciples and reminding them that he is going to prepare a place for them, that he's going before them, and that he will come and return to bring them back to the place where he is going. And Thomas, the doubting disciple, asks him the question, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And in verse 6, Jesus responds, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity once again to gather and to worship you and to honor you this morning. Lord, as we continue our series and look at the, the, these pillars of the Reformation and what they mean for us today, I pray that you'd, you'd help us to focus in on you and remind us of the, the truth and the reality that, that we depend on Christ alone for our hope and our salvation. And remind us, Lord, what that means for us today. As well as for us as this church. I pray you'd open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us and give me words to speak as we open, open up your word. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Last week was Reformation Sunday and, and first of all, I just want to thank Eric and, and the, the vocal choir as well as the bell choir and Kay and Sharon and all the, all the moving parts that were involved and, and, um, and presenting the, the song uh, "Mighty Fortresses Are God," and thank you all for for singing like you did. We had talked about how, with the bell choir and the vocal choir up here, we were hoping that you all would join in with us, and, if, and you did a great job uh, singing along. And it was just such—I I heard several people after the service just compliment how how powerful, how moving that that version of the song was. It's it's a song that's so familiar to us, and even Kay kind of reprised it for us this morning with the prelude. Um, it's a song so familiar and so near and dear to our hearts as we celebrate the Reformation and remember what it means for us. It's a song Martin Luther himself penned. And as we begin our, our, our study today about what it means to trust in Christ alone, I want to just remind us of that second verse. I want to read the words for you. Um, if you. If you're interested, it is number 26 in your hymnals. It says, Did we in our own strength confide? Did we, excuse me, did we in our own strength confide? our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth His name, from age to age the same. And He must win the battle. think that verse, that, that verse of that chorus, is such a great representation of what we mean when we say Christ alone and that we will trust in Christ alone. We must trust in Him alone for our justification and that He has completely done everything that is necessary for our salvation. Nothing we can do, even our good works, contribute anything to that. It's all about what He has done for us, not what we can do for Him. See, there's two aspects of this idea of of Christ alone. First of all, we need to remind ourselves that, that there's no other gods can save us. You know, this reminds us back to the, the Ten Commandments, right? The first commandment back in Exodus chapter 20 that God gave Moses and, and the people of Israel. Is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? And this idea that, that we need to trust in him and him alone. And that seems like the obvious application of this passage, right? And that seems like for us today, that seems like an, that an obvious thing that, of course, we don't need to trust in other gods. We don't need to trust in other, other religions and other faiths, but we should trust in Christ alone, uh, for the people at that time when they received the Ten Commandments, that may not have been so obvious, right? There was many other gods and many other, um, like, geographically located gods, right, that, that were prevalent in that day. And so for them, that would have maybe not been so obvious, but for us, it seems like second nature. Of course there's no other gods. Of course we can't trust in someone else for our salvation. To, to follow Christ means to follow Him alone. Um, which is it's a important reminder for us, but it may seem like the obvious application. But I think there's another side to it. There's another part of Christ alone, and I think this is where we as, as modern-day Americans often trip ourselves up. And that's that we need to believe that, believing, excuse me, we can do nothing for our own salvation. And the other part of that is believing that we need to add to the cross. We need to contribute something ourselves in order to be saved. In other words, it's like saying that that Jesus' death on the cross, His resurrection, wasn't quite enough for us. That what He did on the cross was good and it did most of the part, but we need to somehow do something in return. We need to somehow add to it for our own salvation. See, when we talk about trusting in Christ alone, it means trusting in Him and not ourselves. It means trusting in Him and what He's done for us not what we can do for him to somehow add to what he's already done. Again, going back to that second verse of a mighty fortress of our, is our God. It says, Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? In other words, even the good stuff we do in our lives, no matter how, how hard we try, no matter how, how much we try to, to please God in our lives, all of those good things are still not going to be enough. Our striving is going to be losing. No matter how hard we try, we're still going to fall short. Instead, we need to trust in in that that one man, that man of God's own choosing, Christ Jesus Himself. And that last line, it's He who must win the battle. He is the one who has accomplished what is necessary for our salvation. But so often we keep falling into that trap of, of, I just need to get my act together and then God will love me. I need to get, I need to get all my ducks in a row and then God will be really pleased with me. Instead of trusting that what He has done is enough for us. That His death on the cross, His resurrection has, has earned our salvation for us. And all that we do, all that we can do is simply respond to that. Does that make sense? Respond to what He has done for us. That's what it means to trust in Christ alone. And so what I would like to do today, what I'd like to, to spend some time on this morning is looking at what, what Christ has done for us. What does it mean to trust in Him alone? What does it mean that He has already accomplished what is necessary for our salvation? And so to do that, we're going to look at um, what, I, what I call the three functions of Christ. What, we can look at, at what Christ accomplished in, in, in three different ways. And I'm not saying that, that each one of these is, is separate from the others, but they all fit into the one person of Jesus Christ. Uh, John Calvin, one of the reformers, uh, talked about Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And so I want to take a moment this morning and unpack that for us and what that means for us. It's not that he's a prophet sometimes and a king in other times and a priest in other times. He's all three of these at the same time, but we can understand what he's done for us by looking at each one of these in turn and how they fit together. And so the first thing I'd like to, to take a moment and look at this morning is is how Christ functions as prophet for us today. A prophet's function was to reveal God's will, his character, and his purpose to the people of God. And so we often, when we hear the word prophet, we automatically go to those Old Testament prophets, right? Like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And we think of how they spoke messages to God's people on behalf of God. And that's a, that's a good way to think about what a prophet does. They, they're the communication from God to his people. And so Jesus is very similar to these Old Testament prophets in that way, but he also goes beyond it at the same time. He's greater than those Old Testament prophets. And so in, in, in Jesus' own ministry, we hear passages that sound a lot like those prophecies that we read in the Old Testament. So, for example, from Matthew 23, we get, we get passages of judgment, of, of Jesus calling out people for their lack of faith or their hypocrisy. Matthew 23 is a great example. His, in my Bible, the heading is a warning against hypocrisy. He's speaking to the religious leaders of his day and, and is critiquing them for leading people astray. Just want to read real briefly, give you an example of that from Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do as they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And he goes on and, and, and goes on from there. So, so sometimes Jesus spoke like those Old Testament prophets that we think of speaking God's judgment into the world, but he also spoke hope. He also described the hope that we have in Christ. In John chapter 14, our passage from this morning, is, a remind, is an example of that. You know, we talked about the comfort and the hope that we have in him that, that even though he is going to be with God, we don't have to fear, we don't have to worry because he is, in a, he is preparing a place for us and that he will return to bring us to be with him. Another ex- example of hope and comfort, just as the Old, Old Testament prophets would bring when they talked about the day of the Lord. And so Jesus is very similar to these Old Testament prophets, but he's, but he's greater than that. He goes beyond them because although those Old Testament prophets were called and they were, they were men and women of God who spoke God's Word, they were still just humans, right? They were still just people that were, that were speaking a message that God gave them. Jesus is different because He is God Himself. That He is pre-existent with the Father. And that, and that when we talk about Jesus, when we see Him, we actually see the Father, John chapter one verse eighteen, John one verse eighteen says, "No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in close relationship with the Father has made known." And again, from John chapter fourteen, where our our passage comes from today, uh, Jesus says, "Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father." And so, how can they say, "Show us"? the Father, don't you believe that I and I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. So in other words, Jesus isn't just relaying a message on behalf of God. Right, Like these Old Testament prophets were, were doing. When, when we look at Jesus, when we look at His life and all that he had, he, all that he had done and, and all that he had taught, it was the very words, it was the very actions of God himself. Jesus was God in the flesh among his people, and so we can look at him, and, and, and in that way, he is greater than those prophets that came before. And so, so this was not just a, as Jesus was a prophet, as he, as he spoke the words of God, it was not just something he did during his life, but it was something that, that he did before his incarnation, during his incarnation, as well as after the incarnation. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it talks about him, it uh, talks about Jesus being with the Father in the beginning. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, even from the beginning of time, Jesus was, as, as the Son of God, was with the Father. And, and in him and through him all things were made. And it is he who is the light of the world. But then also during his ministry, we see he is the representation of, of the Father and the Father's will. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-3, through 3, it says, "...in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. See, during Jesus' life, he was the, he was the radiance of God's glory. He was the exact representation of the Father. And so as we look to Jesus, as we, as we know more about him, he's revealing God's character and his will to us through his life. Then also, Jesus continues to, to teach us and to reveal to us what the Father is like. Through the church and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 8, 28, verse 20, Jesus promised His disciples that He will be with them always to the very end of the age. That's part of the the great commission to go forth and make disciples. In Matthew 28 verse 20, that promise that He will be with us at all times, and it's and He sent His Spirit so that we may know Him, and 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 the Spirit will will teach us and reveal those things to us as we study His Word. Then finally. We'll see in First John chapter three verse two. 1 John, chapter three verse two, that in his second coming he'll be made known completely to us, dear friends. Now we are children of God, and what he will do—excuse me, what he will be—has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so, finally, at Christ's second coming, we'll see that perfect representation. We'll we'll be able to see God. Once again and be with him forever and we'll be able to know him in that way And so the first function of christ is to to reveal what god is like to teach us about god And and we can think of him as a prophet in that way But we don't want to think of him only as a prophet I think There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of a lot of teaching that says well jesus right was just a good teacher He was a good moral example And he had a lot of good things to say, but that was it Right There's a lot of people throughout history that have had a lot of good things to say about god a lot of great teachers a lot of a lot of people who have pointed to Christ excuse me pointed to the father and been been great examples for us to follow and so if we think of Jesus only as a prophet only as a good teacher we're missing something we need to think of him also as that priest and that king he also came to redeem and to rule us and that is part of the good news that Jesus came to make known you can't have one, you can't have him being just a good teacher without the others. And so, so Jesus does teach us about the Father. He does give us an example to follow, but he is so much more than that. And so the second function of Christ is, is that he is king. Jesus is the king, he's the ruler, he's the Lord over the universe. And we can think of that in, as an, in an earthly sense. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 9, we get that promise that we hear all the time at Christmas, Right? That promise that one day a, a, a king will follow David, right, and sit on the throne forever, and, and his government and his his power will see no end. And so Jesus fulfills that prophecy, but um, but he also acknowledged that he himself was king. In Matthew chapter nineteen, verse twenty eight, Jesus said to them, "Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes." Of Israel. So not only was well, not only was, was David that coming Davidic king, that one who would sit on the throne in Jerusalem, but, but Jesus himself acknowledged that that he would sit on that throne as well. And if you're anything like me, you tend to think of God's kingdom simply in, in, in future terms, right? You think of Christ will come again to rule, that one day his kingdom will be established. And so we think of it that, that Christ will be king, but we don't think that Christ is king now. We don't think of him as Lord and as ruler of our lives now, not just in the future. It's not just a future thing. His kingdom is already being established. You see, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection were like the inauguration of that new kingdom. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 teach us that, that Christ not only rules in our lives, but he also rules over nature. He's created and it's create, excuse me, nature was created and is sustained by him. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we see that, that. that Jesus rules over nature, right? We saw that in his ministry when he cal- did things like calming the storm and, and multiplying the bread and the fish in order to feed the multitudes. Jesus rules over nature. But he also his the kingdom of God is, is currently present in the church. The very next verse in Colossians 1.18 says, He is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. See, as, as Christians, we need to acknowledge that Jesus is the head of the church. It's not, it's not me as pastor, it's not our elders, it's not, not even the congregation as a congregational church. In all things that we do, we need to acknowledge that He is the head, that He's the one in charge, and He is the ultimate authority. And He leads us through, through His Word and his, the presence of His Holy Spirit. And finally, as, as we often think, we know that Christ's kingdom, that He will be exalted as King finally at His second coming. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, remind us of that. Very familiar passage to us that says that God exalted him, speaking of Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, one day Christ, the whole world will know that Christ is King, right? The whole world will acknowledge him as God. We have the privilege as Christians, and I invite you to, to know this as well, that he is king of our lives now, not just in the future. We have the opportunity to, to, to submit ourselves to him. So Jesus is prophet, he is king, and third, he is also priest. And this is the, this is the part of his ministry that we often are so familiar with, but it takes it's important for us to slow down and take a moment to think about it as well. You see, a priest was a mediator who who came between two parties to represent each to the other or to make reconciliation. So so if you think about a priest, it's almost like the opposite direction of a prophet. A prophet would speak messages to God's people uh, from God, but a priest would would stand and represent God's people to God. It was like the other half of that communication, the other side of the street. And Jesus fills this role in, in two different ways. First is His intercession for us. The Bible teaches us that, that Jesus even now is interceding for us before the Father. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses, verse 25, it says, Therefore He is able to save completely those uh, whom got, who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. So even now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father pleading our case and, 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 and making us known before God the Father. It's through Him that we can know this. It's through Him that we have access to God. And that's all made possible because of what He's done for us on the cross. So He intercedes for us, but He also makes atonement for us. And this is the part that holds it all together. See, Jesus made satisfaction for us before the Father. Christ's death makes satisfaction for our sin. In other words, it makes reparation for the damage that was done It makes amends and provides compensation for the loss that our sin um, represents. And so Christ's death uh, makes satisfaction for that. You see, when we think about sin, we often underestimate the power of our sin. And so in order to really understand what Christ has done for us on the cross, we need to understand uh, the depth and the the seriousness of our sin. See, sin is not about the magnitude of our sin right? We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But it's about the worth of the one whom we sinned against. Think about this in terms um, of how we understand our own law, right? To commit a crime against a person is a much more serious offense than to commit a crime against say, physical property of some sort, right? we look at that from a human perspective and say, yeah, that makes sense. If you, if you wrong a person, it's much more serious. It's, much, it's a much bigger deal than if you wrong, say, a building or some sort of physical property, right? The, the punishment and the, the, the consequence of that action is much more serious. And so if we think about our sin in that sense, God is of infinite worth and value and holiness. And so our sin, no matter how small we may think of it, It deserves infinite punishment. And so in order to understand the cross and what Jesus has done for us, we need to understand that. That God doesn't grade on a curve, but that all sin is an offense to Him. It creates a barrier between us and God that needs to be overcome. There's a barrier because of our sin that separates us from God. And no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we strive, all the good things we do, we simply can't overcome that barrier. And so we need someone to remove it for us. And so that payment must be made by a human since humans are the offending party. And at the same time, that payment must be made by God since He's the only one that can pay for it. And so therefore, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, must make that payment, must make that satisfaction for us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-20, through 20, it reminds us of this reality. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And so Jesus makes that payment for us on the cross. He, he removes that barrier for us. And it was through His sacrifice that this was possible, the cross appeased God's wrath towards sin, not towards us, but towards the sin that separated us from Him. And so that wrath needed to be satisfied; that the punishment needed to be needed to be offered. Right? It wouldn't be if we going back to that legal understanding. Right? It wouldn't be right for us. It wouldn't be a, 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 a excuse me. <laughs> Thinking of a judge in a case, right? Where there say say there was a murder trial, right? We would not think a, a judge was good or just if we if they just let that murderer go free, right, of no consequence or no punishment. We'd be crying for, for justice to be done, right, in the same way our sin is an offense to God. And so that punishment needs to be paid for. That barrier needs to be removed. And so, so God satisfies his own wrath by through the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not by our own effort, but it's through the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. And so when we are, are made right with God, it's not by what we do, but it's by what Christ has done for us through that sacrifice. Think of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. Right, The tax collector was made, Jesus says that tax collector was justified. He was made right before God because he depended on God's mercy. He, he, he didn't claim anything that he'd done. He says, he says, forgive me for I have sinned. He said, he said I'm, excuse me. It was, it, he, he depended on the mercy of God and not not by the things that he had done. And Jesus said, it's because he depended on those things that he went home before God justified that day. And so there's satisfaction there's made, there's the sacrifice, but there's also the substitution. Jesus took our place so that we did not have to uh, because we could not pay the price on our own. First Timothy chapter two verses five through six. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all people. That's First Timothy chapter two, verses five through six. See, Jesus is our mediator. He took our place and made atonement for us. And it's, it goes two ways. On the cross, there's two things that happened. One, Jesus took our sin. He took our curse upon himself. He took the punishment that we deserved. And so he took that from us upon himself. But at the same time, we receive his blessing. We receive his righteousness in return. So not only does he remove our sin and the guilt of the, and the shame and the punishment that we deserve, but he also gives us the, the blessing and the righteousness that we could not earn for ourselves. And this is the key passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He took sin upon Himself so that we could be made righteous. So as we think of Christ and all He's done for us as as prophet, as priest, as king, it, it forces us to trust in Him alone. It reminds us that we can't do it on ourselves, that we need to rely on His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. That no matter how hard we try, no matter all of the good things we do, we can't rely on those things. We can only rely on Christ as Savior. So a couple things to keep in mind. Keep the cross at the center of everything we do. You see, we never outgrow the gospel. We never get tired of being reminded of the the price Jesus paid for us on the cross. And we simply live in response to what Jesus has done for us. See, there's no good news without the cross. We can't have Christianity if we don't preach Christ crucified. See, it's Easter that gives significance to Christmas. And finally, we need to submit to Jesus as Lord. Lord of this church, as I mentioned already, but also Lord of our lives. To acknowledge someone as Lord is to acknowledge that they have authority over us. To acknowledge them as Master and as King. And to put ourselves under their authority and submit to them. And so as we acknowledge that it is only through Christ and by what He's done for us that we can be saved, we also have to acknowledge that we have to submit to Him in all things. And it is His faithfulness, it is His grace, it is His mercy that will see us through. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for that reminder of Your your grace and all that You've done for us, that no matter what we try to do in our lives, even the good things in our lives, Lord, fall short of Your glory. And we need to depend on Christ for everything we have. We need to depend on what he's done for us on the cross in order to remove our sin and to give us the righteousness that only Christ deserves. We thank you for all those things. In Christ's name, amen. Today we gather, as we gather to remember those who have gone before us, it's also important for us to remember what Christ has done on our behalf. I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. And So let us give thanks for these brothers and sisters in Christ to whom God has granted rest from their labors. Thank you, Lord, for each one of these people. And thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to each one of them and to us. Dorothy Kotman. Lester Cruzy, Lois Haberkamp. Casper Holscher. Jean Preter. Dale Grimes. Wilma Lammers. Jean Rediger. Ruth Kettler. Henry Loggemann. And Gene Hunt. Almighty God, we give you thanks for these your servants who we remember this day. Grant us grace to follow them as they followed Christ, and bring us with them to those things no eye has seen, no ear has heard, which you have prepared for those who love you. Give us faith to look beyond touch and sight, and seeing that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, enable us to run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the author. And finisher of our faith. Bring us at last to your eternal peace through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together number 546 for all the saints. seated. As we share in communion today, let's remind ourselves of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. That as our priest standing before the Lord, he offered himself as a sacrifice, his body broken for us on the cross, his blood shed for us so that our sins could be forgiven. It's not about what we can do for Christ. We come here today not proud of the things that we've done but coming to Him in humble acceptance that no matter what good we've done, no matter what we've done, good or bad, we are in need of Christ's forgiveness and His grace and His mercy. So as you take the bread this morning, as you take the cup, remind yourself of all that Christ has done. Remind yourself of, our, of your need for Him. And humbly go to Christ. Prayerfully go to Him. And thank Him for all that He's done for us. And receive that gift of mercy this morning. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 that he has received from the Lord what he also passes on to us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In The same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gift. Thank you for the reminder of your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, and all that it means for us. I pray now as we receive it this morning, that we would receive it in faith, knowing, Lord, that, that we cannot save ourselves, but we look to you for everything we have and everything that we are. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. For all have received Christ the Savior and Lord, we invite you to take this holy sacrament to your comfort. body of our lord jesus christ which is broken for you feed on him now in your faith and your hearts by faith with thanksgiving blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is shed for you. Fe- sacrifice made in his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. Take and drink knowing that he died for you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to to be reminded of, of all that you've done for us. Thank you that Lord Jesus says as as prophet, you've revealed the father to us. You've made known, made him known to us in our lives. As priest, you've offered a sacrifice of your body and blood so that our sins could be forgiven and we could once again be in relationship with the Father. And as King, you rule, Lord, in our own lives in this church and one day over this whole universe. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your body and blood and the forgiveness that we receive from you. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, Equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.